The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perro columnist for StockEd. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. Now today we're catching up with ACAP Energy, trades under the code ACB, last traded at 7.4 cents for a market cap of about $92 million. Now ACAP, uh, as I'm sure most people would know, has one of the world's biggest undeveloped uranium deposits in Botswana and an interesting nickel cobalt laterite project near Waluna in WA. Now we've got a uh, sort of a back to the future moment here because with us today we have the newly appointed CEO Andrew Tunks, I should say Dr Andrew Tunks there. Andrew of course was uh, with ACAP between 2006 and 2011 and then moved on while uranium prices were in hibernation I guess doing some other things, but he's back there now, CEO, and uh, he's got uh, his eyes on getting uh, Lethlakani, as the uranium project in Botswana is known, into production to take advantage of the uranium renaissance, which uh, we seem to think is uh, very true this time. There's been a few false dawns, but with uranium getting to uh, more than $60 a pound in mid-April, it's come back a little bit, but with Joe Biden and others uh, urging uranium developments to be part of the world's fight against global warming. It looks like Lethlikani's day is uh, has arrived. So with that, I'll say, g'day, Andrew. Thanks for coming to the show today. Great. Great to talk to you again, Barry. It's been a while. Right. So, Andrew, I guess the, uh, the big question, why the return to ACAP? Barry, a- as you and the listeners might know, um, I was the original managing director at ACAP Resources. I-, I was already in Botswana when the company first listed and um, we had some joint ventures between the company I was working with at the time, IM Gold and ACAP. And uh, pre-IPO, they came across to Botswana and we, we looked at the gold ground and they showed me their uranium ground as well, it, which was really uh, at that stage nothing. It was some old 1950s reports from Uranga shell shaft, so some indications of radiation. Mm-hmm. And um, I... After the guys from ACAP had left, I went out back to site. I found a scintillometer in Botswana, went out to site and, and realised that this was a, a real thing. And I, I was I didn't know much about uranium at the time, um, but you could see uranium at the surface and, and there was radiation everywhere. And uh, so I, I, I contacted ACAP and, and said, you know, that this was a, a, a real exploration play and uh, I, I'd like to join the company and, and, and explore it. And, and so in some ways, I, I feel that Letlakani was, was, you know, partly my discovery. And, and you always build a team around the discovery. Yep. Um, but at first, there was only really one or two of us. And um, so for me, that was the most exciting time of my professional career. Um, uranium market was running in 2006. The company went from a market cap of, of you know, 10 or $11 million to a market cap of over $200 million. And it was an incredibly exciting time. We, in that time, proved up one of the world's largest uranium resources. 
it is low grade. Uh, I think the average grade or the the t- global resource grade is around two hundred and twenty or thirty million. Uh, I beg your pardon, two hundred and twenty or thirty parts per million, mm-hmm. uh, and has an enormous amount of contained uranium. Ultimately, around three hundred million pounds, making it one of the world's biggest deposits. Um, and look, I was always very bullish on the opportunity to develop this. It's it's effectively at surface. There's very low stripping ratios. The metallurgy works quite well. Botswana is a wonderful place, um, both from an infrastructure perspective. It has it has rail right on site, the road, the ma- you know the major highway, um, and uh, water, great water supplies, and finally power. Uh, the, the major power line run next to the road. So I felt that there was so much going for the project. And when you when you find a, a large uh, non-precious metal deposit, a lot of it comes back to logistics. You know, they become giant earth-moving mm. uh, projects. And this is a really well-situated project in, in a fantastic jurisdiction. Um, people would be aware that Botswana is one of the most wealthy countries in Africa um, in many ways, and that, that's solely predicated on the diamond mining. Uh, and, and so they have a great understanding of mining. And so all, all of that, of course, ended with Fukushima. Um, you could see the writing on the wall post-Fukushima, Germany shutting down their power plants and, and a bit of a rejection of uranium. And I, I would argue that in, in the long run, you know, Fukushima has not proven to be a, a you know, a, a worldwide troublesome, you know, event, in mm. my opinion, a very... No one really, or very few people, died of radiation in that um, initial accident. So I, I think people have, have finally understood that. And uranium prices coming back, there, there aren't too many alternatives, in my opinion, for uh, non-CO2 producing baseload power. So there's a lot, there's a lot of renewable energy, but it, it doesn't provide baseload, and that is underpinning uh, this uranium renaissance, as you called it. And, and so ultimately about six or eight months ago when the price of uranium started to run, um, people had started to approach me about coming back into the uranium industry and I, I was initially, uh, I looked at a couple of opportunities, uh, but when ACAP approached me, I, I suppose I felt for myself it's, it's an opportunity to go back and finish something that I started. And I, I was delighted to uh, to be offered the role, and I'm very excited to, to be back. Okay. Now, the project itself apparently has a, a mining licence, was issued in 2016, so that's uh, in good standing? Absolutely. So um, it has a, a full feasibility study uh, and an environmental impact assessment, which you, which you need to do to get apply for the mining licence. So the mining licence is granted, now, when you get a, a mining license in Botswana, effectively you have two years to commence mining. Now, obviously that has not happened at this stage. So that, that has been rolled over twice um, and we now have until December 2014 to make uh, some headway. 2024? I beg your pardon, yep. 2024. Uh, still, still a bit caught in the past there, Barry. <laughs> um, uh, so we've got um, quite a bit of time now and uh, but also a great a great understanding from the government and I've already been to Botswana uh, prior to taking the job and and met with the minister and and the heads of department and said look we're back 
Botswana, uh, ACAP in Botswana effectively has spent no money since 2019 with, with just one or two staff left. I said, we're, we're coming back. I'm coming back to the role. I, I, I knew the head of the uh, mines department from a previous my previous involvement over there. And, um, you know, we're coming back. We're going to rebuild the team. We're going to recommence what we, we need to do. We, we do need to redo the environmental impact assessment. They're only valid for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. We, and there's some really exciting work we need to do on the technical aspects. So um, that that's the immediate challenge in front of me. Rebuild the team and, and get back to work. Mm, okay. Now, um, there has been uh, a lot of technical advances. You touched, just touched on it there, things around uh, you know, optimising asset consumption, beneficiation to reduce cap and, cap and OPEX costs. Um, I, I guess that would be the initial focus, Will? Absolutely. So... Um, People would always point out that this is a low-grade deposit, and, and that's offset by low stripping ratios, no drill and blast, etc. But nevertheless, anything that you can do for a low-grade deposit to raise that grade can be a, a huge improvement to the bottom line. Now, the obvious thing to do, and, and we did some test work back on on the, in this on you know probably two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten, mm-hmm. is what's called radiometric sorting, and so. Uh, as the ore is mined, it goes through a, a large industrial device called a sorter. Um, it goes on a belt and there are sensors inside the machine that say, is this particle radioactive or not? And simply gets rid of some of the, the non-radioactive material. So that's the first level of sorting. What, what's changed since the feasibility study is, one, the, the massive advances in computing power and and speed. Right. So while they worked, while this worked previously, and, and I think when we did the test work on this, we got about a 1.7 times upgrade. And and yes, the, the bulk grade of the entire resource is 200 and, you know, 20, 30, whatever PPM, but the high grade portions around 350 to 400. Right. And if you give that a 1.7 times upgrade, you're up around 500. So, and I believe technology has both in terms of sensors and speed of processing means you can put more tons through and be more accurate with, with the sorting itself. Um, so I think that's, you know, we, we, we could conceivably get the grade to uh, considerably higher. The, the scoping, uh, the feasibility study also showed very clearly that there were, is material in the ore that, that uses the acid so to, to get uranium out, you need to leach it in acid. Mm-hmm. And when you apply that acid, at, at, in the case of lethakani, there's certain minerals in there that um, absorb that acid before it can get to the uranium. And, and so that's not ideal. And, and so at the same time as radiometrically sorting, it is our intention to test work uh, solutions around getting rid of some of that uh, acid-consuming mineral. So, and, and that acid-consuming mineral contains no uranium. Mm-hmm. So the, the radiometric sorting will help, but if we could specifically, t- we know what that mineral is and we can target that in the sorting process as well, then, then that would be a huge advantage. So my first job, and I'm meeting with them uh, this week, is getting together a whole new team. I've, I've found some amazing metallurgical engineers uh, and sorting people who are who going to put together a team uh, who are just, you know, working all around the world on these sort of problems 
and bring the and bring the best technology we can to our test work program, mm-hmm. which I think will 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 have those two benefits: upgrade the ore grade, decrease the um, acid consumption, and that'll have an immediate effect on uh, the updated feasibility study. Right. I was just going to ask then the uh, I know it's early days, uh, but what sort of timetable are we looking at here? Oh, we'll we'll be undertaking that work uh, this year, absolutely. So um, I, I would expect that it's probably going to be around the start of September that we can start to reassemble a meaningful team in Botswana. There's some work permit issues that I need to work through, um, getting a, a, a new country manager on site, growing that team back up. I've already been over and started recruiting again, and some of the guys, some of the people who worked for me before are, are coming back to the fold. And, and they've all had eight, nine years of uranium experience now. Mm. Mm. Then adding this new team in who I'm meeting later this week. Um, and so I, I'm expecting that the test work will start in and around September. And obviously the first phase of that is drilling to, to get some new sample. And, and of course, that drilling is always exciting. We'll, we'll be drilling the best parts of the ore body Obviously, we'd be assaying and, and recording that. So so the news flow from a technical side will start in September. And then those results will be fed into a, a DFS or a PFS? Uh, it, it, at the moment, it's a, it's a full feasibility study. Oh. We would like to take that to uh, probably a DFS this time around. So uh, I, I haven't, I've only been in the job a week and I haven't mm-hmm. sort of committed to that yet and, and the full understanding of, of exactly how we're going to do that. But um, that, that is my intention, yes. Okay. Now I see the uh, the company very astutely raised uh, $10.7 million in the March quarter, so you're fully funded for this work program. You're, uh, That's right. Before. So we've got $12 million in cash at the moment. Uh, we're very well placed. That, that budget uh, is more than enough that we're fully funded for all the work that I'll talk about today, both with uh, Let Lakani and, and also with Wilconi, the, the laterite. Okay. Now, uh, uranium market um, spent uh, post Fukushima, you know, got below 20, then edged up to around 30, sat, sat there for a long time and popped to more than 60 earlier this year, back at around uh, 55, 57, I think it is at the moment. What's your view on the, uh, the uranium market from here? Well, I think when, when you look around at the, there was a lot of uranium discovered in the 2005, 6, 7 boom. Mm-hmm. Um, However, like Letlakani, most of that production requires a price of around $65 minimum to, to get into production and, and preferably a bit more. So I think it, if, if you look at the reactors that are being built around the world, if you're looking at um, all the new opportunities people are looking at, then, then the uranium price, uh, I'm very bullish on that. And we would certainly expect to see a price well north of that. Now, I'm not a market guy, really, but I think that to get the uranium production that the world requires to service the reactors that have been built, you're really looking at a price that's well north of $65 a pound. Right, okay. Encouragingly, the uh, currently at the moment, I think the term market or long-term price is uh, ahead of the spot price, which... Kind of suggests that the utilities are back in the market looking for material. Yes, and, and one of the other places that ACAP uh, needs to grow its team is is to bring in uh, a business development guy who who has that experience with dealing with the utilities and securing us 
Uh, ACAP in the first iteration never secured an offtake agreement. And, um, you know, as a geo, that's not really one of my skill sets. So we'll be looking to expand our team in that in that business direction directly related to the uranium market, which which is really a, a different market than the other metals. It's so tightly controlled by the World Nuclear Association. Every pound is accounted for, and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so we, that's another exciting uh, development stage for us, I think. Right. Okay. So uh, how are you going to manage it? You're going to be spending a lot of time in Botswana, sunny Botswana now? Oh, I certainly will be over there, but I, uh, I have um, already selected a, a team to, to, lead, to lead that charge. So I'll, I'll certainly be over there um, quite a bit. Um, at the end of the day here, though, we, we've already defined this resource. Mm. There's, not, there's not a huge amount of drilling. What, the, biggest, the biggest thing in front of us is, is our community, environmental, social license to operate. Uh, it, within the government, within the local communities, we will be Botswana's first uranium mine. We're, we're really Botswana's only defined uh, large-scale uranium resource. Um, as I said before, though, people in Botswana understand that their wealth comes from mining. The, the diamonds are always present and always in everyone's back idea, but they also understand that the diamond, you, you can, for the first time at the Botswana Resource Conference this year, it was discussed that there's, there's now an end to the potential diamond production. Now, it's still a way away, mm-hmm. but you, they have to start preparing themselves for that. And I think very large-scale deposits like this and also the stuff that's going on in the Kalahari Copper Belt um, uh, will be the lifeblood of Botswana. So a lot of what we, we need to do now is around education of, of uh, government and communities and, and achieving that uh, social uh, licence to operate. So that's that's a really important task, and we're building the team obviously with that in mind. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now um, we should talk about Wilconi, uh, a big uh, nickel cobalt resource near Waluna. Six hundred and sixty thousand tons contained nickel and forty six thousand tons of high value cobalt. Not a bad grade either. Point seven three for the nickel. Point oh five for the cobalt. Laterite deposit. A farming uh, arrangement with the Luna Mining, who's uh, getting up the uh, the gold project at uh, Luna. What uh, what do you make of that one? It wasn't wasn't there last time you were? Uh... No, it certainly was not. It's come in well post my mm-hmm. uh, involvement. Um, what what do I make? It's, it, it it has. I had my first visit there last week, and it, it has some eerie similarities to our uranium deposit. It's effectively at surface, much of the ore body is within the top four or five metres. So no stripping ratio, no drill and blast, free dig everywhere we go, and a a super large low-grade ore body. Mm. So um, that that presents some unique opportunities. I mean, we can mine this for so little. And if you look at the in-ground value of the ore at the moment, it's it's roughly worth around $300 a tonne. So... And that obviously fluctuates with metal prices, mm. but um, you know that's that's an enormous start. That's the equivalent of, of you know a really nice open cut gold ore body. So um, I think there's there's great opportunities there. And and in terms of resources and mining technology, uh, we'll, we'll be using the same teams that will do the work on Letlakani to do the work on Wilconi. Um, so we'll, we'll look at probably continuous miners potentially. 
and, and they can uh, mine to very exact specifications if you know your ore body well. So um, we think the mining will be quite trouble-free. Obviously, the, the issue with um, nickel laterites is, is extracting the nickel and the cobalt. And, and you will have seen over the years, what that, what that entails is, is extremely high capital cost up front for mm. what, what are called HPAL, high-pressure acid leach. Uh, they, they look like a submarine, except all the pressure's on the inside instead of the outside. So these giant vessels um, pump full of hot acid and the ore to, to extract the metal. Um, you know, upwards of a billion dollars traditionally to set up a plant. Now, ACAP is, is currently investigating and, and doing a bunch of work around some alternative methods uh, and alternative uh, ways to extract that ore. Now, you, you won't ever get the full recovery that you might in a HPEL, but certainly some potentially lower capex. Now, we've only just started those studies. Um, there's some test work underway at the moment. But obviously, the great thing about this is, it, you know, with these metal prices and an enormous resource, I think there's something like 90 million tonnes in the global resource here, mm. then uh, it's a very, very long life project and so it can support a big upfront capital while the metal prices are good um and and you know we 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 look at some of the nickel you know laterites that have been around for a long time and and their their capital costs are well and truly in the past and they're absolutely printing money at the moment so um there's again it's it's in the study phase uh wilconi at the moment but we are looking to um, make some significant advances on that this year. There's a drilling program coming up. We're looking to uh, most of the resources or a substantial amount of the resources in indicated at the moment. We'll be trying to drill out that on a closer spacing to bring some of that into inferred. Right. Um, and we're picking the best parts of the ore body. And it's right next door to the Waluna mine site. There's there's accommodation, there's there's you know, it's a it's a good place. It's a good part of the world. There's a bunch of projects going in Maluna at the moment. There's gold, there's iron ore, there's potentially a lead project that's currently mothballed that's about to get back into circulation. So it, it's a real mining environment um, and, and I think it's a great place for a project. Right. Uh, a lower cost pathway to production would, of course, be if you could uh, outline some nickel sulphide uh, mineralisation. Um, is there... Any hint of that? There is nickel sulfides uh, below, and they were extensively tested for um, or by Rio as far back. I mean, this, the ultramafics here are, are quite well known and were tested by Rio as far back as the 1960s, I believe. Um, there's there's currently no nickel sulfide resource, and I'm not sure that the grades would be sufficient. But I, I'm again, I'm not sure that there's been enough work done to understand that completely. And that's something that we'll look at over the over the coming uh, few months as well. Is there some opportunity? I mean, as you would know, you do, nickel, the high-grade nickel sulphide deposits are quite small um, compared to the footprint of this mm. laterite deposit, which is like 20 kilometres long and four or 500 metres wide. It's an enormous thing. Whereas you could easily hide uh, a nickel sulphide underneath that because and and partly it, the nickel laterite itself is quite magnetic, so you, you you get this very strong magnetite 
rich band and it blankets out a lot of the other signals um, that you might traditionally use to look for nickel sulfides. So there are there are certainly opportunities for that. At the moment, though, we are very focused on on the laterite itself. For sure. Okay. Yeah, hard hard to ignore six hundred sixty thousand tons. Uh, it's it, they are giant deposits, and we mm. again, you know, the, the use of nickel not just as an alloy for steel at the moment, but in the battery space and the cobalt. I, I don't think people understand how rare cobalt really is. Um, often in the past when we've had exploration booms on particular metals, if you look at uranium in 2005 and six, you know, the, the lithium boom, the worldwide exploration has been very successful in identifying large mineable resources. That's not really the case in cobalt um, where, you know, the vast majority of the world's cobalt comes out of the, the Zambian copper de- deposits in the DRC. Mm. And, and that, you know, people call that conflict cobalt. I, I've certainly spent time there myself. It's, it's, um, it's certainly got some issues, you know. So, so finding non-DRC cobalt sources has, has not been hugely successful from an exploration point of view. And the deposits that everyone looks at are quite low grade. And that's why the cobalt price is so high because you're looking at that, you know, that's the sort of price we need to sustain production. Um, and, and cobalt yet is, is such a crucial element in these batteries. You can't engineer it out of these lithium batteries. It's, it's crucial in the cathode, the right mix of cobalt and nickel. So um, I, I would argue that, you know, there's amazing upside, in my opinion, in the cobalt price. All right, folks, there we go. Uh, Tungsy, as he's generally referred to, has given us a great rundown on uh, ACAP, particularly on the uranium project, and so it should he was involved deeply, uh, intimately involved in its discovery all those years ago. And uh, the way things are going, it uh, looks like it's, uh, it's going to have its day in the sun. So with that, Andrew, uh, best of uh, luck with it all and thanks for your time today. Barry, it's always great to speak to you. Thank you very much. Cheers. Cheers.